You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Great. Everyone still asleep from the holidays? I uh, went to bed uh, Christmas Eve the night before Christmas Eve at 6.30 and slept till 6.30 the next day. I think I slept off all of 2020. Um, I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but... Well, a uh, merry belated Christmas. Welcome to the first service after Christmas. Um, my kids this year were blessed by Santa Claus with two hoverboards, and I may or may not have uh, wiped out on the hoverboard the first time I got on it. And fortunately, I lived to survive, and I had nothing but nothing more than a bruised ego to show for it. Um, Well, my name is Adam Curran, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your lay elders here. Um, And I got to tell you that serving as a lay elder for you guys, for Northway Church, is one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, I told my parents when I was six years old that I wanted to be a pastor when I grew up. I actually said a preacher, and I kind of kept through that all through high school. I didn't really have a category for an elder. Um, But being installed as a lay elder last year allowed me to kind of fulfill this lifelong dream of, of serving a church in this capacity. So I really cannot thank you enough for the opportunity to serve you guys in this capacity. Um, I'm, I grew up in Austin, so just a little bit about me real quick. I grew up in Austin, uh, went to Baylor where my wife and I met, and I tell people if it weren't for the girl and the job that I would have moved back to Austin after college, after graduation, because I feel like Austin, at least back then, was a lot more my lifestyle. I know a lot has changed. The traffic is terrible now. Um, But um, I've been in the commercial real estate business for uh, about 15 and a half years, since 2004, since I graduated. And when I was in college, I went to Baylor because I thought I wanted to go into the ministry. Uh, But right after my sophomore year, I had what I call a vocational identity crisis and did not know truthfully, what the Lord was calling me to do. I I just couldn't ever come to um, maybe a piece about going into the full-time ministry. So this is the first sermon that I've preached in 15 years, and I did not realize that the first sermon back, kind of my debut back, would be uh, televised on YouTube, so effectively as a televangelist. So (laughs) I didn't, um, didn't didn't have a category for that. That was not my aspiration growing up, but it's so good to be with you. So this morning, we are um, wrapping up our Advent series. If you will recall, this is the fifth installment, so the last of the Advent series. We've been talking all about the kingdom. Um, Shay kicked us off and talked about the kingdom falling, how Israel was looking for a king. They actually demanded a king from God, and God said, well, if you want a king, here's King Saul, and it gave them what uh, they did not want, kind of the antithesis. Um, And then Brady preached from Isaiah on the kingdom promised. And then Matt Younger preached also from Isaiah on the kingdom awaited. And Joel Megley uh, last week uh, preached on the kingdom inaugurated. So he preached from Matthew 13, which I thought was a a great message. So I have the privilege this morning of preaching on the kingdom consummated. So effectively, what does life look like? What will life look like? in the future kingdom that is coming for all believers, the future, the future heaven, the new, the new heaven and the new earth. So when I was growing up, I don't remember hearing much about heaven. I grew up in a small Southern Baptist church and we were taught if you prayed this prayer that you would get to go to heaven someday when you die. So I, 
I prayed that prayer, part, maybe partly out of fear, but um, I do believe that the Lord was doing a work in my life. But I didn't hear a whole lot about heaven, and truthfully, it sounded pretty boring. It sounded like uh, a worship service that was going to go on forever. And don't get me wrong, I love worship. I went to a Hillsong concert last, last year, and it was incredible. And it was kind of a picture of what I think partially heaven will look like. But it sounded fun, but truthfully, if I'm honest, it also sounded a little boring. It sounded like uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I didn't know if we were gonna be angels floating around. Were we gonna be spirits with no bodies? Were we just gonna be completely disembodied? Were we gonna be floating on clouds with everyone playing a harp? Um, maybe that sounds good to some of you guys. It sounded pretty boring to me. But a lot of my theology as a kid was shaped by Looney Tunes. I don't know if there's anybody in here that's old enough to remember watching Looney Tunes, the cartoons, but. Tom and Jerry, Tom the cat was always trying to kill Jerry the mouse. And sometimes Tom would die and he would actually go to heaven and the pictures that were always depicted of what heaven was like was probably what shaped a lot of my theology as a kid. So if you're in that boat, uh, my hope today is to dispel, hopefully dispel some of those notions for you because scripture actually gives us a very good picture of what the new heavens and the new earth are gonna look like. He actually describes it in incredible detail so we don't really have to guess. So here's my thesis. The kingdom consummated is believers ruling and reigning with Christ in the fullness of the presence of God where he makes all things new on the new earth. So before we get there, we know that um, we sort of live in this tension. You may have heard this language before that theologians call already not yet. And we know that the kingdom of God has already been inaugurated because we just celebrated that at Christmas. We just celebrated that Jesus came. He put on flesh. He lived as a baby. He lived as a, full, a fully grown man. He consummated his ministry. He walked this earth. So in one sense, the kingdom of God was inaugurated at Jesus' first coming, but it won't be fully consummated. So we get glimpses of the kingdom of God in his first coming, but it won't be fully consummated until his second coming. So just a couple of quick uh, things to remember about the kingdom of God. Number one, this may seem self-explanatory, but the kingdom of God is eternal. It's not something that's gonna show up someday and just be brought into existence in ways that has never been seen before. The kingdom of God has existed long before human history has ever been here, before the earth has even been here. And the kingdom of God will, leave, will, will uh, live on into eternity forever. So Daniel 6, 26 has this to say, and I've got a couple of verses here that hopefully will be put up on the screen so you don't have to flip there for every one of them. But Daniel 6:26 says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be till the end. So we live in this already not yet time. The kingdom of God has already come, but it's not fully yet here. So here's just a few of the realities of the present. Here's kind of what we mean by that when we say that. And we could go on and on on this list here, so it's not exhausted by any means. Number one, we are, if we're believers in Christ, if we've put our faith in him, if we've trusted in him for salvation, we are set free from sin. So we're no longer enslaved to sin, but we still battle sin. Sin is still something that we still have to put to death. It's something that we still have to work with. We still have to live with, unfortunately. The second thing, we are saved, saved from our sin. 
We're saved from the curse of sin, but not from the entire curse of sin. We're not saved from all of our suffering. We still suffer. We still experience death. We still experience pain. We still experience um, things that separate us from God on a daily basis. Another thing that we have is we have communion with God. We have direct access to God the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. We don't need an intermediary. We don't have to go through another person. We don't have to go see a priest. We have direct access to God the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. But even though we have this constant communion with him, our earthly desires and temptations, they still cloud our desire to be with him. We still long for things that are not uh, from God. We still play with toys when he's given us the keys to the kingdom. We still muddle around with our old, maybe our old lifestyles. Uh, and then lastly, this present earth, although the creation is incredibly beautiful, is groaning. We know that because we just have to pick up the newspaper each and every year. I mean, just looking back at this year, I mean, just, just natural disasters. I'm not even gonna talk about the pandemic yet, but <laughs> just natural disasters. There've been earthquakes and tornadoes. We experienced one a little over a year ago. Massive forest fires in California, forest fires in Colorado. These are just just minor glimpses of what we're seeing in creation. So even though creation is beautiful, creation itself is groaning for a future kingdom. And creation is almost telling us, it is telling us in fact that, that something's broken, something's not right. So Isaiah 65, 17 prophesies what this future glory is gonna look like. So a long time before Jesus walked the earth, Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So this prophecy was set in place a long time ago, and it will someday become fully true here uh, in the future kingdom. So if you're like me, you are probably sitting there wondering, man, when is this coming? This sounds incredible. When is this uh, kingdom coming? In one sense, as we've talked about, it's already here. But nobody knows when this kingdom is coming. Now, you may have thought this year was maybe the year. This has got to be it, right? 2020, this is the year of the apocalypse. I mean, just look around us. Again, global pandemic, fires raging, racial tensions, political divisions. I mean, could we have a, an election in maybe a future year where things were a little bit more stable? Just a very, very difficult year by all stretches of the imagination. We could go on and on, unbelievably high unemployment, people getting sick without COVID, people experiencing all kinds of trauma. So in one sense, you might've been wondering, is 2020 the year that it happens? And I don't know, it could, could happen. There's still four days left, right? There's, but I'm hoping that 21 will get here quicker than that, 2021 anyways. Um, but you need to know this, that Jesus, when he walked the earth, he told his disciples that he did not even know when the future kingdom was coming. That when he was on the earth, only the Father knew. He said, I have no idea, basically. <laughs> Which you gotta admire Jesus's humility. Um, and that resonates well with me, because I think I need to, I have this tendency to wanna learn everything and try to figure out how things work. And even Jesus himself was like, man, I got no clue, but I'm trusting the Father does have a plan. He's gonna implement this plan someday. So Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Here Jesus is being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is. 
or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So in one major, major sense, the kingdom of God is already here because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The kingdom of God, we can walk in the reality of what Jesus has done and the reality of the kingdom of God on this earth because of what he did on the cross for us and the life that he lived. So, all right, so what will life be like in this future kingdom? What is life like? What will life like? What will life be like in heaven someday? So as we look at the story of God throughout scripture, what is the story of God? It's basically God coming to dwell with man. We see that in the Garden of Eden, that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He would, he would walk with them. Uh, we see that in the tabernacle where they set up a temporary home for God to come dwell with man. And then we see it in a more future permanent home in the temple that Solomon built. And then we see Jesus putting on flesh and coming and walking the earth. And then when Jesus leaves, what does he do? He sends us the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit that is walking with us. It is God with us. And then as we fast forward to Revelation 20 and 21, God comes back to dwell again with us. And that's exactly what we just celebrated at Christmas. We just celebrated the good news of Jesus coming to the earth. We, we use a word called Emmanuel, which is simply God with us, right? And he came in a most unexpected way, but he did come. So before we get into the uh, text here, I want you to know that your life in the kingdom, if you're a believer, your eternal life with Christ starts the moment that you come to faith in Christ. You can walk in communion with him constantly. You can be in his presence constantly. It's not just something that we attain when we die, like I believed when I was a kid, but it's something that we can walk in, the truths in the, of the future reality that we can walk in right now. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna turn to Revelation 21, one through eight. And since we've already read it, I promise that uh, there's nothing in here about the four horsemen of the apocalypse or any crazy horned beasts or anything like that. Although there's a purpose for all that, but that's not our purpose for this morning. So Revelation 21, one through eight. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So I wanna point out seven things that will be true in heaven. And seven is kind of a, a number that's used in scripture for perfection. I promise I did not do that on purpose. That is just how scripture is outlined. 
Um, but here are seven things that will be true in heaven in this future kingdom. Number one, verse one, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So I looked up uh, what the Greek word is for new in the New Testament and it's actually kainos. And I looked up uh, other places that this word was used and this is very similar to the word that Jesus used when he's talking about don't, don't pour uh, new skin and new wine into old wineskins. And Paul uses the word as well if any, when he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So you may be like me again, you're probably wondering, man, is this earth that we're on, is this just gonna be destroyed, kind of like the Death Star at the end of Star Wars, just God's gonna shoot a laser at the earth and just blow the whole thing to smithereens and just start over completely? Well, I think based on this, I don't think so. I think it's gonna be recreated or restored, actually, instead of just totally recreated. So we're gonna have... Almost all the glimpses of creation that God said was good when he created it is gonna be restored to its rightful state. So the old earth that's made imperfect by sin, we saw that in the Garden of Eden, will be made perfect again, like a much better Garden of Eden. But as we'll see here in a minute, as we just read, it's actually going to be more like a city than it is going to be a garden. So there's a lot of speculation as to what that looks like, and you could read for days and days and you could read the Left Behind series and get a whole completely different uh, perspective on what all that looks like. But there's a lot of speculation, but one thing is for sure, it'll be much more beautiful and glorious than this present earth because righteousness will dwell there. Now we experience glimpses of righteousness in our own hearts whenever we come to faith in Christ, but righteousness is gonna dwell everywhere. It's gonna be incredible. Second Peter 3, 13 says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just an incredible picture. So Isaiah prophesied it. Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter 3. And then it's actually going to come true. John wrote about it in Revelation that we just read as well. So just an incredible picture of what that new heaven and new earth are gonna look like. Uh, the second thing that will be true in heaven is there's gonna be a new Jerusalem. If you look again at verse two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this is a holy city. And Jerusalem in the Old Testament was the capital of Israel's kind of uh, economic activity. It was a political capital. There was Solomon reigned there, David reigned there. But if you can imagine this city being more beautiful than maybe your favorite city. I don't know if New York is your favorite city or Paris, or maybe you've been somewhere else. It's been beautiful, but this city is gonna be even more beautiful then both of those cities probably be combined. Abraham in the Old Testament, he was said to have looked forward to this city. Hebrews 11.10 says that, that this city has foundations and its designer and builder is God. It's just incredible. So if we were to read ahead in 9 through 21, you're gonna see um, an incredible depiction of what that new Jerusalem is gonna look like. We don't have time to unpack that fully today. But... There are a couple of really cool things that I want to point out. One of the coolest things is it actually has dimensions. If you read about it, it uh, the Bible uses the description called stadia, 12,000 stadia, which is actually 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles long, and then it's 1,400 miles tall, which is incredible. So I had to do some research and see like what that actually encompasses. And to put that in perspective, just on the ground level, that's about two-thirds of the land area of the continental United States. 
But if you're sitting there going, man, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of area. But then it goes 1,400 miles up in the air. It's just incredible. So <laughs> just unbelievable. Some people think that, man, that's going to be like a pyramid or it's going to be a cube that we're all going to live in. But all that seems a little wacky. But make no mistake that our God is a God of great detail. And he's given us incredible detail and incredible descriptions of what that heaven's going to look like. So we don't have to guess. We don't have to let our our uh, imaginations run wild in crazy ways. We have a perfect description of it. This is similar to the, all the hairs on, the, on your head being numbered. That's how detailed God is. So just briefly, if you think that God doesn't care about you, think about the number of hairs that you have on your head, and he has them numbered. He knows exactly how many hairs you have. That's how much detail God takes in this uh, new kingdom. Jesus... He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would tell you. So he, he's saying, man, if that didn't exist, I would tell you. But <laughs> it does. He's saying, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. How incredible is that? Just such an unbelievable picture of what Jesus actually did after he left the cross and went to heaven and prepared a place for us. So number three the third thing that's gonna exist in this new heaven and new earth, the dwelling place of God will be with man. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So again, this is very similar to the tabernacle and to the temple in the Old Testament where God would simply descend from heaven and bring his, show his glory inside the tabernacle and the temple. He's gonna be dwelling amongst us, just totally unconstrained by any sort of human habitation. It's gonna be incredible. Leviticus 26, 11, uh, says this. He says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and be, will be your God and you shall be my people. My son, James, likes to describe how God is currently, the way that he kind of understands omnipresence, that God is everywhere. He says that God is everywhere, but it's almost like he's wearing camouflage. So he's out there, but you can't really see him. So just imagine God taking his camouflage off and we can see him everywhere. Other depictions in Revelation talk about how there's no sun in this new heavens and new earth. And that's because the glory of God is shining so brightly that we need no sun anymore. Just an incredible picture of what it's gonna be like. So the fourth thing that's gonna exist in the new heavens and the new earth, and I'll try to get through this part without getting emotional, but all suffering of this present age is ended, never to return. So look at verse four again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, and no pain whatsoever. So if we flipped backwards into Revelation 20 and read what happened there, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire by Jesus himself, so he destroyed death. If we were to read in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul describes what our resurrected bodies will look like, which we're gonna talk about in a second as well, what the resurrection actually looks like. He says this in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
So what Jesus is doing here is he's removing the curse of the garden where Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. He's removing the curse. So here's, here are just a few things that are not going to exist. And I think we hear those things as kind of broad categories, but I want to kind of narrow these down for you. So there's going to be no disability, nobody physically disabled, no mental disability, no emotional distress, no body aches, no pain whatsoever, no wheelchairs, no crutches, no walking assistance, no breathing treatments. Again, no pain whatsoever. I mean, from the smallest little hangnail to maybe you're struggling with lifelong chronic pain, that is not going to exist in the new heavens and new earth. That will be completely wiped out by Jesus himself. There's gonna be no more natural disasters, none. There might be some displays of weather, but it's not going to be destructive like it is here. It might be something that stirs in us worship and affection for the glory of God. Now, I'm, I'm speculating. The Bible doesn't say there's gonna be huge displays of weather in the future, but sometimes they're pretty powerful and they can, they can move us to worship God. So all of this is incredible news for me personally. In 2003, um, I got a call from my brother that my hero, our hero, my dad had passed away after a short stint with cancer. And it was extremely traumatizing, extremely difficult. And last year, 2019, I got another call uh, that my mom had passed away and she had lost her battle with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. She had a mental disability that existed for about 25 years. But the good news for me, they were both believers. So for me, it's, I mean, there was incredible mourning and incredible trauma in both of those scenarios, incredible distress and sadness and despair. But the Lord was in that and he was telling me, hey, this isn't goodbye forever, it's see you later. And we're gonna get to see our believing loved ones again someday and there will never be another goodbye. There will never be any more death, no more pain whatsoever. What an unbelievable, unbelievable hope. I mean, if that's the only thing that exists, you can take me there right now. <laughs> I mean, just an unbelievable picture of what life is gonna look like in the kingdom. So number five, <clears throat> these next two verses are kind of compacted together. He will be making all things new. Verses five and six says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So again, all things new, that which was cursed and stained by sin, which is everything. There is nothing in this world that's not touched by sin. We're all sinners. We all know this. The earth is fallen as well. Everything will be made new, new creation, new heavens, new earth, everything restored in its rightful place. Just in another incredible picture. So there's a lot of speculation as to this next point as well, but we're actually going to have new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrected body, and because Jesus himself was resurrected out of the grave, that is a picture of what our life in the kingdom is going to look like. We're going to have resurrected bodies. Some commentators say that your body will be restored to your prime whenever that was. I, uh, I actually peaked in the sixth grade, so hopefully I don't come back 
as a, uh, as a 12-year-old boy. I saw Jurassic Park in the three to three times and I had one too many girlfriends. Not at the same time, but just that was, the, that was the height of how cool I was in the sixth grade. But, so hopefully for me, that doesn't, that's not my res- resurrected body. But, um, but you may be sitting there asking yourself, what if your body was never in its prime? What if you have struggled with a disability? What if you've had chronic pain since the day you were born? What if you were born a certain way and you couldn't walk or you couldn't straighten your back or there's all kinds of things we could go on and on? What if your body wasn't like that? What if it was never in its prime? Well, your body will be restored to the state that it would be in if there were no sin and no curse from death. It's unbelievable. So then he says, it is done. Jesus says it is done. He says this is similar language to what Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. To the thirsty, he said, and this is similar to what Jesus said in John 4, 14. He says, but for, for whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So even our most basic physical needs are gonna be met by Jesus himself. Just an incredible picture. So number six we're gonna receive a heritage as sons and daughters of the Most High King. Verse seven says, the one who conquers will have this inheritance, have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So God will be our God with nothing hindering us. No sin, no doubt, no suffering, no lack of belief, no apprehension of worship. When we do worship, we're not gonna sit there and wonder what the person next to us is thinking. Maybe I'm the only one raising my hands, maybe I'm not. No apprehension, no fear of man, no perfectionism. Those last two things are something I can relate to. That's not gonna exist in this new heavens and new earth. Uh, Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this. He says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Revelation 5.10 says this as well. He said, you've made them, talking about believers, you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And right before that, if you flip back to that and read, it is said of Jesus, you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So not only are gonna we have a heritage, not only are we going to be sons and daughters of the most high king, but there's gonna be incredible diversity. It won't look like maybe we all look like in this room. There's just going to be incredible, incredible ethnic diversity. My uh, family and I went on a cruise earlier this year and uh, the last night of the cruise, they bring all of the uh, servers out and all of the room attendants and everyone on the cruise is wearing a name tag and it shows where they're, they're from. And uh, everyone goes and, and gathers in the lobby of the cruise and people from different people groups all across the world, they do a dance and they kind of do a quick display of what their culture's like, what's important to them. And it was a little cheesy, but it was an incredible depiction of what, what the kingdom will look like. It'll be incredibly diverse. If you could imagine something similar to the opening ceremony in the Olympics, something very similar to that. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven, which if you, if you have not read this book, I highly recommend it. Um, He has this to say. He says, this is the drama of redemption. If we fail to understand our status as God's children and heirs and rulers of the earth, we will fail to comprehend God's redemptive work. 
But if we do understand our role in God's plan, we'll realize that he would not deliver us from the earth to live forever in a disembodied realm. In fact, the inheritance that God grants us is the very same earth over which epic battles have been fought since Satan's first attack in Eden. Our inheritance is not only physical, but eternal. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. So he ends with Psalm 37, 18. So you may be asking yourself briefly, what are some of the things that we inherit? We inherit the same status that Jesus has before the Father. We inherit direct access. We inherit all the things that we just talked about. We'll be ruling and reigning with him on the earth in a way that was similar to the Garden of Eden. Lastly, the seventh thing that will be present in this new heaven, new earth, is that the powers hostile to God are cast out. Verse eight, and this is difficult language, but... Verse eight, it says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So make no mistake, hell is just as real as heaven is. But in short, all sin and evil will be cast out and removed from the presence of God forever, never to return. So we know that that is good news for us because we know that we need someone to cast this out for us. We can't do it. We can't even defeat the sin in our own life without Christ, without the Holy Spirit. So I'm here to tell you that if you're struggling with how that's gonna happen, all we have to do is look forward to the cross or look back at the cross and look and see how he's going to do that for us. And that person that's gonna do that, his name is Jesus. And you can't do it on your own. And thank God, <laughs> thank God that we don't have to do it on our own. All right, well, in conclusion, I just wanna leave you with a couple of different things. I love a good call to action. I'm in sales, so if there's not ever a, hey, can I have your business or what should we do with all of this information, I feel like I kind of get frustrated. But in conclusion, a couple of things I wanna leave you with. So astronomers say that the universe is expanding constantly. It's constantly going out. My opinion is that's happening because the glory of God cannot be contained. It's going out forever and ever. So in the same way, his kingdom is expanded every time a new believer comes to faith in Jesus, which is partially, probably why he hadn't come back yet. I think he's expanding his kingdom by allowing more people to come to faith in him. So what are we to do about that as believers? We are to fulfill the great commission which says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, this is Jesus talking, I am with you until the end of the age. So if you're struggling in here, if you're longing for something more, maybe you just were let down at Christmas, maybe you didn't hear from a family member you'd longed to hear from or vice versa, maybe you didn't reach out to somebody that you maybe should have. I know I personally struggle with that. But if we're longing for something more, that's because there is something more. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, if I find in myself nothing desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And believer, that is true. You were made for another world. This world is merely a glimpse of what it's gonna look like. So lastly, live your life in a way that longs to see what Jesus prayed when he taught the disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He said, his kingdom come, his will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And then he went on to say, Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek the kingdom and its righteousness. So how do we do that? Every time we share our faith, we seek the kingdom. Every time we pray, every time we enter in, every time we maybe set our iPhone down for a few minutes and just enter in and pray, we seek the kingdom. Every time we confess sin, every time we own the things in our lives that we know we are responsible for, we seek the kingdom. Every time we worship in here and on our own, we seek the kingdom. Every time we serve our family, our wife, our husbands, our kids, our coworkers, our clients, our roommates, we're seeking the kingdom. Every time we lay down our lives, we seek the kingdom. So in closing, I leave you with this. Live your life in a way that longs to see what Jesus prayed for. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we could go on and on here, but we're grateful for the, the time that you've given us here to open your word and to read what you have for us. We thank you that you don't just leave us to our wild imaginations about what this kingdom is gonna look like. You give us vivid descriptions that are sometimes hard to wrap our minds around. But we thank you for these truths. We thank you that there's going to be no more pain and no more suffering, no more crying and mourning and death. We thank you that life will reign, that you will reign, that we will reign with you. But Father, I pray that you would make us ever mindful of this truth, ever mindful of this future hope, this future kingdom on a daily basis. May we walk with you and may we reign with you on this earth as we seek the kingdom in our daily lives. So we thank you that you have empowered us to do this. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have allowed us in your presence and you are the one that empowers us to do this. We praise you for all of these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.